It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Ausbiz Live from our brand Guru studios. You have tuned in to the call. 10 stocks are picked by you. I'll put those st- stocks to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. We've got a lot to get through today. Uh, joining me, uh, Sean Cartwright from Anadara Asset Management. Sean, how are you, sir? Good to see you. Excellent. How are you? Uh, great. And Daniel Ortiz from Stock Doctor joins us from Melbourne. Daniel, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Good. Uh, fair bit to get through. Um, today and um, interesting mix of stocks, um, um, small resource explorer stocks and big retailers. We've got a real big. Uh, this half out, Melbana Energy, uh, Brain Chip, JB Hi-Fi, Clearview Technologies and Monodelphus. Um, stock of the day. Thought we'd have a look at Evolution Mining. The stock has come out of a trading halt um, after it said yesterday it would raise $525 million in equity to buy 80% stake in the North Park's copper and gold mine in New South Wales from China's CMOC Group. The coal miner will, uh, gold miner rather, will pay up to $475 million US for the operations, including an upfront payment of $400 million US and up to 75 million US in combined further payments that are linked to the market. Now, uh, uh, the deal will be part funded by a new $200 million five-year debt facility. Um, Daniel, what did you, you think of the deal? And the market has given it a thumbs down today, down 15%, 14 to 15% as we go to air. Um, gold price at a record high. What the hell's going on with Evolution? Yeah, well, we basically had like a one-day bull market for gold this week and things have kind of headed the other way since. So uh, I guess there's a bit of skepticism around the, 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 the gold equities at the moment. Evolution has its own idiosyncratic issues. It's had a lot of debt on the balance sheet. It's had issues with past acquisitions. That Red Lake acquisition in in, um, in North America has been you know really disastrous for them. Um, basically, if you look at the portfolio, the only real assets that are generating strong free cash flows are Ernest Henry and and also Cow. But there's been significant capex and, and other bills um, with those assets as well. Obviously, when they acquired Ernest Henry, huge stamp duty and, and other taxes payable um, to Glencore. So I I don't think the market really wanted to see another acquisition, um, let alone another complex acquisition. It's a very convoluted deal structure. The asset used to be owned by Rio Tinto many years ago uh, before they sold it to CMOC. There doesn't seem to be material kind of asset investment that's gone on there. Um, judging from the, the initial comments I've seen out in the morning, there still needs to be a bit more analysis done on that. But I, I just think that the market wasn't really happy with, with Evolution going back um, and acquiring another asset at what doesn't look like a cheap price at all um, at a convoluted structure with, with the gold royalty streaming as well. So yeah, I'm not really too surprised to see the market 
you know, not not really happy with Evolution at the moment. It adds to their capex problems going forward because there's significant development that needs to happen at the mine. Um, so you know, I would I would strongly be preferring other miners at this stage, yeah. um, and and probably okay. looking at even to to offload the stock today as well, even though it's fallen. Wow, um, Sean. Why the hell would Evolution do it? Sort of, there, there's this old criticism, isn't there, resource stocks that they have, the, and gold miners in particular, when gold shooting the lights out, they go and make stupid takeovers and pay too much for them. And is, is this yeah. a classic case of that? Absolutely. Um, I agree with everything Daniel just said. I think they overpaid for this asset. I don't think they needed another acquisition. They already had a fairly convoluted structure internally. Half a billion dollars is a lot to take in. I'm not surprised the market's uh, given it a hiding today. Um, I don't see any reason to remain invested if you are. There are much better gold um, producers and developers. Yeah. We've got lots of good gold producers in this country. We've we? got so many. And with yeah. um, with Newmont taking out our largest Newcrest, we've started to see some really good opportunities in the, the mid-tier space, yeah. getting some inflows. Um, we prefer some of those other companies. I think for Evolution, given their size and given the amount of money they've just taken in, um, I, if I'd be doing what Daniel suggested, I'd You're be selling. selling. Yep, I'd be yeah. selling and looking for another one. Okay, to, to well, what in. would you switch into? Um, our preferred gold company right now is actually DeGray. So, ah. And that's not just for the gold. So right. if you have a look, um, Wildcat Resources right next door, they've got a bumper lithium deposit. If DeGray doesn't have an absolute bucket load of lithium sitting there as well. So right. giving them a second commodity, right. I'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, Wildcat Resources uh, has just gone up in the uh, probably last six months. Well, I was yeah. flying back from Perth in October from doing telethon yeah. and one of the cabin crew yeah. uh, gave me a post-it note <laughs> and said, Wildcat Resources, <laughs> I got in at three cents or something like that and Killy, uh, resources is going to be the next one. And I was thinking, <laughs> boy, we are in a boom when cabin crew uh, on a Qantas yeah. flight. <laughs> yeah. um, Daniel, the real part, though, um, long-term impact of this decision by evolution, if it's gone against what the market has said and mucked it up again, there's, there's sort of uh, a lack of confidence in management, isn't there? Uh, let alone the resource. Yeah, and I think Evolution historically is, you know, really been rewarded for its management. And Jake Klein has done the playbook before where he's acquired assets which are probably sitting at, you know, the the, the lower end of the quality portfolio from majors and he's uh, invested in them and, and grown the resource and, and perhaps added some different production techniques, whether it's adding in a, a bulk um, a bulk ore to the mill and growing ounces. But the, the last few have just been really difficult. This probably goes to show that there's been more competition for acquisitions. And, and obviously, as the company's grown, Koshi, it puts more pressure on them to do bigger deals um, and to continue yeah. that kind of empire building, oh, which, okay. which can be which can be very you know, disastrous to, to mining companies. So, you know, unfortunately, it hasn't gone their way with Red Lake. COVID, no doubt, was a big part of that. You know, hopefully this acquisition goes better for them. But, you know, I just don't think we have the confidence at least to be there at the moment. Okay. All right. Let's uh, get into the stocks that uh, you want us to uh, cast our eye over. And Sean, Mark is um, uh, wanting a view on Milbana Energy, an oil and gas explorer with um, leases in Cuba and also Australia. What do you think of Milbana? Um, Look, I think there was a lot of hype around Milbana 
um, a few months ago um, where there was buzz around this could be one of the greatest oil discoveries um, mm. we've ever seen. And I think what they're drilling has uncovered is that it's not quite lived up to the hype. Oh. And so we've started to see it um, we've started to see it get sold off a little bit. Um, look, it's not a company we follow. Uh, we do we are oil bulls at this stage, um, oil and gas. Um, but for Melbana, I'd probably probably be looking at something else and I see better value elsewhere um, until they're able to prove that they have the resource they thought they did right. or that the market expected. Um, I'm a sell. Right. Um, uh, but you're an oil bull. Yeah. Even though global oil prices go yeah. nowhere at the moment, I'm more reports of a surplus of oil out, out today. Yeah. Which do you prefer I, in, the, um, in the oil? I actually don't believe in all of that. Um, right. And we're taking a two-year view on oil. So we're actually dealing with some over-the-counter products. We're not picking any particular stock ah. um, right now. We see more upside in some of the over-the-counter Derivatives what, that we're what ETFs up. or no 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 like we're that. so we're um, we issue structured products and so we've been creating oh, right. some structured oil right trades for ourselves and for clients oh okay um, but we we see a lot of upside in oil here we've actually put a report out and we think 140 150 bucks in the next few years gee yeah um, Daniel what are you are you an oil bull as well. Well, maybe not that much of a bull. We go 140, 150, we'll, we'll be having some serious issues. And I would assume the market would be a lot lower. Um, so I, it makes perfect sense. If that's your thought, you, you'd be going OTC. You wouldn't be going in equities because equities wouldn't be doing too well, I think. But um, yeah. uh, we have probably similar views on, on the company. I mean, it, the asset uh, from what I saw um, that there's kind of excitement over is in Cuba and they're looking to farm that out. Um, with a joint venture structure with a with an African producer. So, uh, if you look at the management team, I, I mean they're quite credentialed and have you know decades of experience in the industry. They, they're trying to build something here, perhaps be a little bit more entrepreneurial, not rely on on the market to raise equity and farm in uh, another partner. But you know it's probably not our playbook of investing in the space. You know we'd probably prefer a producer. Uh, I've said a few times on the show now, you know post the the deal not going ahead with Origin, I think that could be you know a, a a, a pretty quality indirect exposure through APLNG and there's clearly a demand there from from EIG to buy the rest of their stake um, so I, I think that could be a, oh, so you go or, Origin I'd probably go Karoon for Karoon. direct exposure mm. yep. uh, but I think Origin is an interesting playbook mm. as well because you know I, I can't see them not um, liquidating that that, that um, interest in, in APLNG to fund some of the energy market stuff. So I, I think that could be a catalyst there. Okay, all right. Karun and, uh, and Origin. All right, next stock, uh, second stock is Brainchip. Uh, Daniel Mart wants a view on that. The uh, neuromorphic computing area, which is basically AI. Anything to do AI is shooting the lights out at the moment. Brainchip, what, dropped 10% yesterday. It's 18.5% because they're doing another capital raise. Um, has Brainchip got the potential to be uh, uh, an AI superstar on our market? Uh, look, I, I think potential is a scary word as an investor, in my view, uh, because you, you're taking a huge risk and a huge speculation. Uh, I think if there was one stock on the market that is the complete antithesis of, of what we do and what we invest in at Stock Doctor would be Brainchip. Right. Um, it was, it was, I think it was a $2 billion company at one stage. Yeah. 
Koshi, and yeah. um, it's fallen a long way. It's still $300 million market cap. So in my view, expectations are still really high for a pre-revenue company. So look, it's not something we invest in. You know, It's not as if I I want to can the company, but it's just, it's just not our playbook. I think people misunderstand the story and perhaps you know got really excited at the wording and and the and the positioning of of their chips um if because if you listen to it like you said there's a lot of big words in there that make it sound cutting edge but uh, i'm still not sure if there's actually commercial demonstrations of the technology so uh, even at today's prices i'd probably be inclined to sell um because i just don't know what's going to happen here like you said further capital raisings there's been some i think you know some 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 inconspicuous ways that the capital raisings have been done in the past, um, which is another flag for me. So I'm more than happy yeah. to just to be walking away from it. Yeah, and uh, for me, out of your description there, what struck me was $300 million market cap pre-revenue. Mm. So, you know, uh, that's before they're earning a dollar uh, to a customer um, who's prepared to pay for it. No one's prepared to pay for it at the moment. That's exactly that's yeah. a, a a big red flag, Sean. Is it? Yeah. Look, um, I think Brainship at two billion dollars. It just got caught up in the speculative AI froth, and oh, it was yeah. just uh, it was mind boggling <laughs> that they got to that valuation. Um, we actually really like the semiconductor space, and we, we have invested in in, in this sector before. Um, but valuations are just so high right now, and I think Kobe's a really good marketer. He's the the CEO, so we've spoken to him a few times when we were looking at investment before yep. it took off. Um, I really don't see value here, and I think. One thing that we often say to clients is there's lots of fantastic companies that mismanage their capital structure and there's also a lot of really terrible companies that seem to do well because they manage their messaging effectively. I think one of the things that Brainship have made a mistake with is entering into one of these financing methods with an, uh, an American company um, whereby it's effectively a put option. It's um, a convertible note type facility. Whereby the holder of the notes is able to sell sell stock on a monthly basis in oh. order for yeah so oh. um, and what that effectively creates is a lid on the share price and there's still a fair bit of that facility left to go. Right. Um, you may have heard of the term toxic death spiral. Yeah. This is one of those types of facilities. The way it was set up in a rising speculative why market. Would it, why, they, why would they have done that? Um, look, there's a lot of. I wouldn't say predatory, but um, a lot of companies on the ASX, they're attracted by some of these US institutional investors right. that really do, they're, <laughs> they're predators on these microcap companies. Right. And the lure of getting um, an American insto onto your register, and I think uh, they just sign into these agreements without really understanding what the impacts are. Right. And effectively, gotcha. it just gives this the, the note holder the ability to sell an unlimited number of shares effectively. The investor is in a no-lose position. They mm. cannot lose. The company, however, if the market is falling, um, they've created a lid on their stock. And every time there's any buying from the market, mm. they're selling pressure. So I'm with Daniel. I'd be selling this one as well. Right, okay. All right. Let's uh, turn our, our attention to retail now. And Sean, Brian wants a view on JB Hi-Fi. Um, is this a bellwether of the economy? Going forward, uh, economic growth figures out yeah. this morning, um, underperforming per capita basis, third consecutive um, quarter of 
negative growth, yep. sort of migration, having 500,000 new customers in yeah. Australia, buying from retailers has really helped the economy. Yeah. Um, so this is a really well-run company. Um, yep. I, I, I really like the way that JB, um, the management team, run their business. I think in this rising interest rate environment and the cost of living crisis um, that we all hear about a thousand times a day at the moment, um, I think JB are, are, have managed their books really well and it's relatively tracked relatively sideways. Um, I actually see some upside from here. I wouldn't be buying. Um, but I would be holding if you're already in there. Um, I, I think they'll continue to do pretty well um, over the next few years. I just mentioned when we were speaking about Brainship, um, messaging is really important. I think with JB Hi-Fi, everybody knows what they do. Yep. Um, it's a really clear, simple to understand business. Um, so if you're in there, I'd hold. I wouldn't be buying, but certainly um, wouldn't be selling. Okay. Um, Daniel is regarded as one of our premier retailers, isn't it? And don't they hold the record of uh, the most sales per square metre of um, floor space? Yeah, they have been one of the highest. I think it's usually uh, JB Hi-Fi and even someone like LaVisa with the really small store footprint. But yeah. the thing is about JB's, their stores can be quite large. There's just so much stuff in them and people <laughs> keep buying it. So that they get the metrics up really high. But th th there are a lot of talking points you can discuss with JB. And I think Sean's pointed out a lot of them in terms of the quality of the management, um, the branding and the way that they market to customers, I think is excellent. And, you know, everyone knows what JB does. And it's, it's a habit store for Australian consumers. You know, if you need an electronic product you go to jb if you need um anything to do with your home you, you're likely going to jb and even their online delivery like the, they had some of the fastest turnaround and delivery times and, and fastest to adopt click and collect during COVID. so we, we know there's a lot of great things about the company the one thing i would point out is that there's still uncertainty around what the long-term margin profile looks like because pre-covid you know you saw a group margin of around three and a half four percent we saw it get above six post-covid due to the demand pull forward and now it's still hovering around five percent so the question no. is modeling that out going forward you know if you expect margins to drop well there's not enough top line growth because it's a mature store to, to counteract that so I, I think the valuation in terms of you know when you look at pe's and everything it looks cheap it's probably cheap for a reason because there's uncertainty around that now granted by all accounts um you know they have taken market share off some of their competitors so th there are a lot of convoluting forces here and like you mentioned koshi when you talk about jb at this point you know i think you're probably taking a view of the macro you know economic structure in australia um and my view on that at the moment is probably positioned a bit more on the negative side so mm. th that's why i'd probably be leaning towards you know actually selling jb just because my view of the the consumer uh and what could happen going forward in in Oz retail sales isn't too great and we saw at the first quarter trading update i mean jb as a brand is holding up the good guys is probably below expectations as you'd expect given the products they sell but um you know, i don't think the share price is factoring those risks and 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 you know, kind of creeping up on the border is the growth of Amazon in Australia. They're talking about, you know, same day or even same hour delivery within the next five years or so. How will that impact JB, which has always been a question investors need to ask. So yeah. I'm happy to step away from it for now. But, you know, this is this is a business you want to own. So, you know, you're keeping it on the watch list and keeping an eye on it. So are you negative on all retail as a result of that? 
Look, uh, we're negative on most retail. I think Levi's is the one where we've said, look, we're probably happy to actually be a buyer below 20 bucks. <clears throat> that's that's what we've kind of discussed even with our portfolios and our PM uh, because we think the rollout strategy is going to provide enough long-term growth to offset some of the consumer risks. Uh, that, that's the difference. A lot of our retailers are actually on the mature side. So unless you're a complete category killer, like we've seen something with Super Retail Group where, you know, Rebel Sport just absolutely continues to go from strength to strength. Everyone was forecasting that to decline and it hasn't. Um, you know, that's probably something we're even holding in our portfolios, not looking to buy. Right. Um, but those more mature companies where there are risks to earnings and, and it's going to be difficult to outgrow that, uh, I think we're taking a step back. Okay, Lavisa just popping back up through 20 bucks uh, this morning has been below that. Sean, are you negative or retail? Um, Somewhat. Um, I, I, I agree with Daniel's comments. I think Lavisa is probably the retailer to hold. Right. Um, but I just think, back to my comments about JB, it's just such a well-run company. Um, and if you are currently a holder, I don't see any reason to sell. Um, but Lavisa, I probably see more. If you were looking for a retail exposure, that's the one I'd probably choose. Uh, even at these levels, around yeah. that 20 buck level. Yeah, 20 bucks is fair value, I think, okay. for Lavisa. All right. Um, and next stock, um, Gabriel uh, wants a view, Sean, on Clearview. Uh, they're into uh, solar panels and um, glass panelling for aesthetics, but also um, uh, generating energy as well. Yeah. It's interesting business, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I'm very familiar with this company. We're shareholders, um, and we've been speaking with management for about four or five years now. So Gee, you've done all right then? Yeah, we've done you're okay. you're a chef. <laughs> yeah. We've done okay. Um, effectively, what they do, they've... Uh, it's not quite this simple, but they've got a transparent solar panel. Right. And so what the technology should be able to do is replace windows in buildings and effectively oh. use the windows as a solar panel. Right. Um, so they look like a window, but they're a yep, solar panel. It's a transparent Jeez. solar panel. Yeah. Um, they've got some commercialization challenges, I think, um, coming up over the next uh, few years. Um, They've just signed their first commercial agreement and it's to build a greenhouses. Um, I think it was in Japan. Right. And they've just shifted, the management team have just had a complete shift over to the United States. Um, and I know that they were working on a few large commercial contracts. Um, for one, I think they announced a few years ago they were working on a deal with the uh, Empire State Building, whereby they'd replace some of the windows with their, their technology. Um, right. Having said all of that, um, I really like the technology. Um, I think they need to raise a hell of a lot more money to be able to commercialize it. Um, we're actually just talking now about what we do with our positions, whether right. we sell or hold. Right. Um, so I'm gonna say hold for now um, and just wait until you, I'd be saying it's a buy once they've proven they can commercialize the tech at right. scale. And I think, yeah, there's more money they're gonna require and a lot more. Okay, so Time. more money to come if they're going to yeah. scale it, but the technology looks interesting. The technology is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Um, Daniel? I'm definitely glad Sean went first because he has a much deeper understanding than I do <laughs> but for this company. But I, I did have a bit of a look, and they actually do provide pretty good case studies and, and data on their website, which is quite helpful to understand it. It does seem to be that, look, it, it's probably not as efficient in terms of per square meter um, as your traditional solar panels. 
But um, I'm guessing the use case is, you know, you could probably install um, this product, you know, in, in more scenarios. And obviously the design and the look is very different. So I think they've partnered, um, like Sean said, in Japan, but also with a US company in, in like a, a greenery, a glasshouse um, uh, for, for obviously some type of agricultural grower, which if you think about a glasshouse, um, obviously you're getting the sun, which is providing uh, the sunlight to the to the plants and things underneath, and they're generating power, which is a, a dual plus. But my concerns more so would be around the, that commercialization piece. So even today, I think its market cap is close to about 150 million right now, which for a company which is pre-revenue has some arguably has some financing challenges. I mean, I don't know how much it costs to manufacture. Um, they they say they've had some you know kind of studies put into um, yeah, the the manufacturing of these glass panels, and, it, and it's not going to be too difficult to add in their technology to what's already existing. Um, look, that, that sounds great, but I'd probably just prefer to wait to see that actually, um, you know, eventuate first before being invested or, or holding the stock. So given the recent share price rally, I mean, I'd probably actually think it's it's good to take some profits now uh, and to sit on the sidelines before you get more information. I think they only have a few million dollars left in the bank. They've announced some type of financing strategy and at the money call facility, which you know you'd, you'd want to look into deeper the terms to understand what's really going on there. Um, but yeah, at the moment, it's a great story, interesting story stock. If you've been in it, you've done well, probably take some profits yep. uh, and, and really think about how the, the, the strategy looks from here from a commercialization. Jeez, if they get the product right, mm. though, it has huge potential, does it? Yeah. Good on them for doing it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just mention last one on that, Koshi. Yeah. I think the, the company's been around since the 90s, so it's clearly something they've spent a long time developing. And I would just wonder, you know, what the competing products out there, uh, are there competing products out there? And another question is, if it's been in development for so long, you know, perhaps why hasn't there been someone that they've been able to attract as a partner uh, to take this on? Oh, so yeah. th there are a few questions I would I would like to ask there, but um, for now, they're just unknown, so you can't yeah. really comment on them. Sean? Yeah, yeah. so it, it's um, the tech was uh, discovered and developed initially in Israel, um, right. and it was run by some of the chaps that were around back when it was founded. Um, and I think probably one of the best things they've done recently is shift to a new management team that have got a bit more experience with oh, commercializing. Right. Okay. Um, that's all happened within the last few months. Um, I think everything that Daniel said, I agree with. The challenges now are in commercializing the tech and they've got some more cash they need. So right. that's why we've been having the discussions internally about right. whether we hold or sell, we're, okay. we're undecided. And Okay. All right. Our fifth stock, uh, Ruby wants a view, Sean, on Monodelphus, uh, the engineering company in, um, in uh, mining and yep. infrastructure. Been around since 1972, uh, operates throughout the region. Yeah. Um, this is a hold for us. Um, we really like the business. We think it's exceptionally well run. They continue um, to win um, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of contracts a year. Um, and they seem to have quite sticky business as well. So a lot of the contracts seem to renew each year. Right. Um, I think they announced not too long ago, they've just won an $850 million contract for next year. Um, and I, I, it seems to be that they're one of the tier one providers to our mining industry, especially over in Perth. Um, this kind of goes back to um, back in the gold rush. Did you want to be the miner or the guy selling the picks and shovels? Mm -hmm. I think this is um, this is a business like that. I think 
pretty boring really to look at, but I think they're going to continue to do well. Um, I probably wouldn't buy at these levels. I'd buy if it tested those lows from earlier this year. Yep. Um, but if you're in, I'd certainly try to hold. They're hold not it. going to go anywhere. Yep. Okay. Um, Daniel, what do you think of Monodelphus in the mining industry? I I got a 6, a 6 a.m. flight back from Perth yesterday at Perth Airport. Let me tell you, I have not seen so many high-vis <laughs> outfits yeah. and the queue for security was out through the door, basically all fly in, fly out. And I said to one of the, uh, the airport staff, is this like this every day? And they went, yep, it's just yeah. everyone going to work on a plane. Get off the plane yeah. and into the mine. It's incredible. No, exactly. The 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 kind of explosion in the mining industry in Australia last at least the last five years when you talk about what's happened in the iron ore prices and now with lithium as a huge new industry, lithium prices have fallen off, but the amount of labor and construction and work that's been issued and, and developed mm. already so far, it's it's all adding to that that industry. So no, absolutely spot on. I went earlier in April and and exact same story a lot blows, of people blows you away in the high like, yeah. it's huge yeah and, and and if you listen carefully that they're, they're often talking about a few interesting things <laughs> i know, listen in those I conversations. know. There, there are a couple with pilbara on there and i felt like going how's it all going uh bhp <laughs> yeah. all on the high yeah. yeah 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 sometimes it's hard to understand them but if you can get a few jewels off them it, it, it might yeah. be giving you a few tips so <laughs> no, definitely that might be a, a strategy in itself listening at the airport but um in, in regards to monodelphus look there's really not too much to add to what sean stated i think capex uh in the iron ore industry as we all know is going up even places like you know if you look at tinto they have like i think 80 million tons of depletion over the next few years because they've under invested um mm. in their minds so that so there's lots of work for them to be done um they're winning a lot of work as well in the lithium space with talisman um, of course, they're at Greenbushes and, and, the, and the Quinana facility as well. So they're winning all the good work. Um, over time, the, you know, Monodelphus has certainly gone through that boom-bust cycle. That they, they haven't really levered up the balance sheet at the moment. Um, they, they're carrying a decent amount of cash, about 100 million cash as well. So they're, they're no doubt they'll continue to look to, you know, tack on or roll up or acquire other small services businesses because they trade at the premium multiple so that they can get the accretion out of it, um, which I'd probably expect to see going forward. I agree with Sean in terms of a rating. It's probably a hold. Yep. I think the market understands the quality of Monodelphus in the sector, and that's why it does trade on, on that premium valuation. So I'm happy to hold it, but you know this is one where you, you do need to stay up to date with the contract work because we've seen things go wrong in the past. I mean, it's good. They've actually been working on changing some of the pricing structures of their contract um, to allow for more, you know, cost plus modeling in there and adjustments rather than just fixed price, which I think is a, is a positive. Um, but yeah, it's certainly something that you don't want to put in the bottom drawer. It's something that you want to be watching quite right. carefully. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good point. All right, let's uh, recap the uh, first five stocks. Stock of the day was Evolution Mining after uh, coming out of the trading halt today, down 15% um, today on that um, acquisition that they've uh, got in play. Um, both Short and Daniel uh, have it as a sell, and if in that gold area, Sean uh, prefers to grey. Uh, Melbana, a sell from Sean, no from Daniel. Um, if you want to, although Sean's bullish on, on oil, um, over the over the next two years, 
Daniel says instead of Milbana, um, he's thinking Karoon or maybe Origin as uh, uh, an interesting way to play that market. Brainship a sell from both JB Hi-Fi. Um, sell from Daniel, hold from Sean. Uh, both a bit negative on, on retail, uh, given where the economy could be going in the next 12 months. La Visa uh, at around 20 bucks or under $20 uh, would be attractive to both of them if you're looking for retail exposure. Uh, Clearview takes some profits from uh, Daniel, a hold from Sean. They're deciding whether to, uh, to keep holding or to sell there in the stock. I know quite a bit about it at the moment. And Monodelphus is a hold from both. Uh, here on the call, we've been following our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee. The latest episode, the committee meeting is up on the platform at the moment. Um, going into December, uh, we had some new buyers and sells. ResMed, uh, Cart car sales or car group, and John's Ling were among those that uh, were added to uh, Wes Farmers, RPM Global, and MA Financial were sold and taken some profits on those. Uh, let's see how the portfolio is performing, up about 11% at the moment. All right, this half hour, Blue Scope Steel is on the agenda, as is Hub24, Platinum Asset Management, Silver Lake Resources, and Tech Gen Metals. Uh, Daniel uh, Aria wants a view on Blue Scope Steel, the uh, building materials manufacturer famous for its colour bond steel. Yeah, Blue Scope, it has a great portfolio of assets. And like you mentioned, Koshi, the thing that kind of differentiates Blue Scope is that in its Australian business, at least, it does have that that brand premium in, in producing colour bond. I think FY23, I think, was actually a record year for volumes in colour bond. So mm. they, they keep kind of going from strength to strength. But you are at at the whim of kind of the, the underlying steel price. Um, and of course... You know, a lot of their profitability these days comes from the US and what they refer to as the the HRC margins there kind of been up and down. Um, and there's some concerns, obviously, around what's going on with demand. They've kind of benefited from strong demand in the automotive sector. Uh, but, you know, yeah. other than that, there has been some some concerns around demand. So I think Blue Scope Steel, when you look at the assets, you look at the portfolio, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually quite a good assortment of assets. They have a net cash balance sheet at the moment, but they have a huge kind of CapEx bill coming up. They have huge upgrades at the Port Kembla uh, entire facility, which is, uh, you know, a really large facility to have there. Um, and they have upgrades to do in the US and also in New Zealand as well. They're in their kind of investigating building an electronic arc furnace as well in collaboration with the government. So there's a lot of money that needs to come out the door here, um, potentially coinciding with a time where, you know, steel spreads might come under some pressure. You know, therefore, I, I like the company. And, and we know at the moment, if you look at the iron ore and the coal price, you know, they're too big. They're the biggest cost inputs for, for steel manufacturing. So we, we know they're kind of having a bit of a headwind at the moment with, with those two cost inputs. So I'd actually prefer to be exposed if I wanted some exposure to steel, look at, you know, probably realistically a met coal miner, iron ore miner maybe, but I'm a little bit bearish on the iron ore sector. So I think there's actually probably relative um, benefits to get from being in a met coal position company rather than blue scope at this point in time of the cycle. Oh. Um, but, so but, you like, know, like it, Coronado or something like that. 
Probably not Coronado. I think Stanmore looks interesting. Stanwell, right. Whitehaven looks um, looks interesting after the acquisition, but I'd probably just wait to see um, a bit, uh, a few quarters of, of strong performance in cash flow there. Right. Uh, and and the market probably hasn't really understood and, and adjusted um, its ex- ex- expectations for Whitehaven mm. with the with the deal with BHP. So uh, I'd probably prefer to be in one of those names than Bluescope at this point okay. in time. You're getting cheaper valuations, and in the case of Stanmore, you're getting cash back right now whereas <clears throat> blue scope is going to be outlaying cash for developments right that's an interesting play on it um sean what's your view on blue um, scope that was interesting yeah <laughs> yeah um look i i like the company um we think a really healthy balance sheet uh there's been they've been in the media a little bit lately they're um they've decided to appeal their price fixing thing against the ACCC. um i think they were given a fine of about 55 or no, $57 million, right. so kind of a drop in the ocean for them, but they've appealed it nonetheless. Um, they've diversified their business somewhat, so they acquired Metal X not too long ago, so they've now got a recycling uh, division, mm-hmm. um, which I think's got huge potential. Um, and I think they acquired Coil, uh, was it uh, Coil, Coil Coating, so a painting right. uh, company who's quite large. Um, so we see a lot of upside here. I, I wouldn't be buying at these price. I'd be a holder if you're already in. Um, if we saw it pull back to 2023 lows, which is the 18-ish range, I'd be a comfortable yep. buyer there. Right. Um, but hold where we are now. Okay. All right. Um, Sean Shekhar wants a view on Hub24, the uh, uh, the financial services platform. Um, it's one of the big ones in the market with um, what networks? Net wealth. Are, yeah. Are the two big ones? Aren't yeah. They? dominate the sector yeah they do um hubs so we we obviously look at all of these for the platform that we choose to use right within our business um and there's a couple of others that we we prefer um but as an investment i think hub they've got um decent funds under advice on their platform and a lot of financial planners and fund managers use this platform as well um they offer a, a pretty good service um they're generating some decent cash flow as well, and which is supporting dividends uh, back to shareholders. Um, it's really not an exciting company for us. Um, certainly wouldn't buy, not at these levels. We'd hold it if you're already in there. Yeah, five um, year high. Yeah. Uh, Do you prefer, prefer it to net wealth or? Uh, I prefer net wealth. Right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be buying either, just to right. put that out there. Okay. Um, our preference would be net wealth. Um, Great platform, great business. They're not going anywhere, but there's just more exciting businesses to to buy mm. out there. Okay, um, Daniel, you're a bit bored with this as well. There's <laughs> <laughs> a there's a bit of a cheeky comment in there by you, Koshi, but no, we, we, we've liked we've liked Hub24 and Netwell for for a long time. And um, one thing that you always get brought up um, on the show is that, you know, you've got other companies, for example, like a premium, which, you know, arguably, look, it's in the same industry, but it trades at half the valuation. Is that an opportunity? And constantly, time and time again, you know, we've argued, look, you want to understand that there's differences within these businesses, difference in the platforms and the amount of money they invest in R&D to 
to, to develop them uh, and also differences in the in the business models and now that's come to light with premium it had a huge downgrade um, and you know that's why we, we've preferred to stick in these kind of higher quality companies where you know we're much happier off paying a higher price um, but getting that quality growth story going forward so you know when you look at its peers when you look at AMP you look at Insignia you look at um, even even the banks with, with their platforms kind of in in um, uh, in market loss mode, you know we think these companies are going to be winners for for the next five ten years, and it's a growing mm. space. So, one thing that the market always looks at is quarterly net flows. You know they are tiered feed platforms, so we place more attention on new account growth, getting new advisors into the platform and set up accounts because they provide a much bigger revenue stream. If you're say have over the five million dollar cap and you're adding money in, actually doesn't provide any more revenue to the business. So you do need to do a bit more work in understanding the flows and understanding the account growth. Uh, but we're still quite positive on these companies. Uh, at current valuation, certainly happy to hold it. But you will get times to buy these because the narrative changes very quickly. It goes from, oh, well, it's peak growth. You know, The market share relative that they're taking has probably peaked and it will probably be a slower growth story. Um, you know, My view is that Yes, but the rate of growth is still very attractive relative to, to other peers in the space. So you get opportunities to buy this one. We've already seen it this year. So I'm happy to hold, right. um, but certainly if it has a dip, you know, this is one you want to add to the portfolio in our view. Okay. And um, net wealth as well. Which one do you prefer out of the two? I think our financials analyst leans towards net wealth, right. um, but... Uh, you know, the businesses are, are very, very similar. They yeah. probably on the product side have a few differences and variations. And I'll say one thing, and, and it's the biggest tailwind in probably the Australian financial space. We've had a lot more urgency and, and a lot more interest in people opening up self-managed super funds. Um, and everyone knows, you know, that that's a regulated income stream. So as that grows over time, people will be yes. looking to get allocations into, into asset managers. They're going to be going into these platforms. So that's why where we think quite highly of the growth story for these companies. Okay. All right. Um, speaking of uh, funds under management, uh, setting the benchmark, Sean, uh, Les wants a view on Platinum Asset Management, the big fund manager founded by Kerr Nielsen yeah. when he left uh, BT all those years ago. Yeah. Um, so Platinum, they've been in the press a little bit lately. Um, mm. I think we just spoke with Hub about how important funds under advice is. Yep. Um, Platinum's a firm that's been absolutely battered lately with redemptions um, and things like that. I think at some point there was a takeover bid um, put in on the business um, by Phil at uh, Phil King at Regal. Yep. Um, again, I'm a as a fund manager, we we don't see any value in investing in other fund managers. Um, and when you're a listed fund manager, it's all about funds under advice. Yeah. Um, and with the outflows this business is experiencing, we see zero reason to invest. Um, right. If you're in there, sell it and give the money to me. Okay. <laughs> um, and I notice, um, look at that. That's a, yeah. a sorry tale over five years. It's a, um, and just in that space, I saw Magellan had another yeah. billion dollars in yeah. outflow last month. Yeah, so one of the challenges with all fund managers, um, and fortunately we haven't been struck by this, but risk-free rate of cash at the moment is 10, 10 plus percent. Yeah. And so when you look at these fund managers, that's, and the problem with these larger fund managers, as the bigger they get, the less risks they take. And so they intend to just track 
the index or marginally outperform it. Right. If that's all you're doing, you're not really adding value. And when you can go and buy a Commonwealth Bank pool notes and pick up 10%, yeah. why wouldn't you? Or an ETF that or an does ETF, exactly yeah. the same with a lot less management. Value. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, listed fund managers, I've never really understood why Right. Um, sell. Yep. Um, Daniel, what do you reckon of Platinum? Yeah, these are very tough businesses. And the, the thing that's really stood out to me over the last few years is that when you have a fund manager that's probably hit its peak in terms of funds under management, starts to get into that attrition phase, you know, at no point in time does it become a buying opportunity. You, you do not want to be buying the dip on these types of companies. Mm. Um, if you look at something like a Platinum and a Magellan, I will say that there's really three different areas that, that they benefit from on the way up. And then that kills them on the way down. That's obviously the fund flows. Um, but the second thing is also the market movements. Um, and the third thing as well is kind of the operating leverage. So, you know, whether you're managing 50 billion or 100 billion, you probably don't really need any incremental staff. Now, on the way up, that makes the company look amazing. You know, returns look right. uh, look look fantastic, probably over 100% ROE for, for something like that because you don't really need to invest. Now, when it's going the other way, the exact same thing is true. There's no protection on the downside. So uh, my view is that if you can catch, you know, a growing fund manager in the early stage of its roll-up, like even something at the moment like a Regal, it, it actually looks interesting because, you know, they have very good brand awareness in the retail space. They have different product offerings. So they have things like, you know, um, a diversified resources fund where there's less competition in it. They have other alternative assets where people actually lock up their money. That, that That's something that looks interesting. So I, I think there's times to play the fund manager space on a listed point of view because they're high beta. You can absolutely outperform on the way up. But uh, at the moment, something like platinum is is right. you know completely completely avoid it. We'd sell it. So from because Sean was saying they become index funds. Um, does that play into it too? They they just get too big. They um, it's too hard to change strategy for them. The amount of money they've got to invest has got to be at, usually at the top end of the market, just so they can get the cash away. Yeah, I think it depends what their strategy is. Like if you look at GQG, they, they manage a billion, $100 billion as well, US, and they actually have a pretty differentiated strategy and they make big calls uh, and they're very vocal about their big calls. Right. Um, I think in their emerging markets funds, when the Hindenburg research came out, um, on the the short sell uh, on the on the on the Indian kind of conglomerates, you know, they were actually buying and did really well out of it. So, some fund managers, absolutely, mm. they're index huggers, especially if you're in Australia because the market size is so small. But if you're a global manager, that yeah. you know, we're talking about companies in the trillions and hundreds of billions, and a small cap is twenty billion. So, yeah. uh, I think that there is room for these managers to be yeah. active and outperform. Uh, but definitely, you have to understand the underlying performance. Yeah, yeah that's strategy. a really good point. Really good point. Um, next stock, Peter wants a view, Sean, on Silver Lake Resources, the uh, gold producer and um, and explorer as well, the Mount yeah. Munger operation and uh, Rodsay project as well. Do you like Silver Lake? Um, <clears throat> not really. Um, so Silver Lake's okay, really... Okay, well, then let's move on. <laughs> Terrific. <Take charge. laughs> Well, well that, no, not really. Okay. Yeah. Uh, look, I think like all, there, there's a lot of options if you want yeah. to choose an listed gold producer or developer on the ASX. And I think with Silver Lake, they've really seemed to struggle, especially with high gold prices. Um, 
which is concerning. And I think one of the reasons is the market seems to always think they're come raise or come acquisition. They're always expecting some sort of dilutionary uh, event to be occurring. So they have a history of that. They do. do they? Right. Yeah, they okay. do. And, um, and this is when I go back to that. It's been about four years um, that this has been going on now. And they look at the chart. It, it's, yeah. it's kind of gone nowhere this year. Um, with the gold producers now, I think, as I mentioned earlier, we prefer some of those mid-cap companies like DeGray yeah. that have got more upside. Um, we like Northern Star if you're looking for a, a mega, mega yeah. cap producer. Um, but we still see more value in the mid caps. Um, I'd sell Silver Lake and buy something else like DeGray. Okay, um, but like to investors, they say, how can how can you have a chart like that? Yeah. When the gold price, both in US and particularly in Australian yeah. dollars, you should be minting it at the moment. And, and that's the problem. They should be. Um, but this is goes back to a comment I made a little while ago. Um, that there are some exceptionally well-run, exceptionally good companies with yep. poor messaging, and there are some exceptionally average companies with excellent messaging. Right. And I think this company really does suffer from the fact that there's always this expectation there'll be some corporate activity or other dilutionary right. event like but a cap raise. Stuff it up. Yeah, yeah, or just right. just issue more paper. And as an investor. Um, that's usually a bit of a red flag. So you like to see that companies are well-funded and able to develop the projects they've got. Okay. Um, for those companies that are continually on the hunt for something else, we tend to steer clear. Mm. Um, Daniel, what do you think of uh, Silver Lake? Yeah, I've probably got a bit of a different view and a different take on Silver Lake. I think um, if you actually look at the underlying assets, they've They've actually done really well for their period of time. But the thing is that they're getting towards the end of their useful life. I remember when they merged, I think it was with Dore Minerals to to acquire the deflector mine. And, and that's been a cash cow since acquisition. But the thing is, it probably has three or four years left of useful life. They, they, you know, they don't have the reserves. They have a lot of resources, but they don't have the reserves um, with the same high-grade material that, that they once had. And I think that's why the market at the moment is not really willing to pay a high price because, yes, they're actually making some some decent cash, but their minds are in kind of wind-down stage. And they've been trying to get themselves involved in corporate activity. Uh, they loved a, a, the last hour bid for Gualia and upset a lot of Genesis shareholders um, when they did that. And, and that was a bit of a corporate fiasco. You know, St. Brava didn't, didn't even want to basically deal with them because they said you're not serious buyers it was it was a big corporate story uh, clearly they're trying to tangle themselves up somewhere in the gold space on the ASX but at the moment you know they're just a little bit unsure of the corporate strategy they bought 10% of red 5 which has had you know a, a, a flurry of issues it looks like it's past its worst days there but you know they, they paid a lot of money for that 10% stake when they could have been investing in the really discounted capital raiser so I actually think over time Silver Lake's been a decent performer. Luke Tonkin's really ran it with a with a with a mindset of harvesting cash, paying dividends, and really storing cash. They have like three hundred million dollars 
on the balance sheet. But the question is, what happens when that mine life runs out? You you can't pay, you know, a multiple for a gold miner with with reserves that are about to end versus a company which has, you know, say 10, 15 years mine life. So that that's the issue at the moment for Silver Lake. It's no one really knows what's going to happen to mm. it. And hence that's why people who haven't been buying it, it actually looks relatively cheap. And you know, a contrarian could probably say it looks like a good opportunity. I'm, I'm almost talking myself into yeah, buying it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was going to say, are you that contrarian? That is. Uh, uh, look, I might even go the Ausbiz nibble uh, for okay. Silver Lake. I, I will say, I will say, there are issues with the mine life, and and you know that that's why you wouldn't be loading up on a relative valuation story. But I, I think at these levels, there is a case to be a buyer. Okay. All right. Uh, our final stock, Ria wants a view, uh, uh, Daniel, on TechGen Metals. Uh, it's been in the news the last couple of days because of a, uh, a good report on a John Bull grow, uh, gold project in New South Wales. I had some pretty um, high-grade gold being encountered there with a what is that? In first pass soil survey assay, assay results. I have no idea what that means. Uh, where they actually <laughs> drilled underground or they just scooped it up with Pick a shovel up. at the top. <laughs> uh, th- this is this is the classic Aussie lottery ticket. Um, right. <laughs> if you if you look at it, I think if you actually get a page of its ASX announcements, you can see all in one page when it was a gold explorer, a rare earths explorer, now a lithium explorer. So, right. that, you know, obviously they're, they're trying to, to, you know, find the golden ticket. They're, now their project I saw in the lithium space, you know, they're, they're in the, the, the gold fields. They're pretty close to Delta Lithium's mine out of, um, Mount Ida project. So prospective ground for lithium, we know that, you know, they, they've done, like you said, I think in the gold space, but in the lithium space, they've done some soil analysis, which effectively means, you know, the, the MD's gone out there and he's, he's basically got a shovel, put the XRF gun to it and, and um, you know, he, he's put some results out. So they're, they're not drilling yet. They're and you're lodging permits to drill, right. uh, they'll probably need a bit more money to drill. To be honest, um, it's not something you know we're we're really interested in. To be honest, uh, this is like an eight million dollar market cap. So right. I mean, it's a lottery ticket. Keep it on the watch list. We know, like Wildcat, we know that mm. when they pay, pay off, and um, the lithium space in the gold fields at the moment is certainly paying off. When you look at Wildcat, you look at Azure, um, and you and okay. you look at some of the others in there. So yeah, potentially, if you if you know the project or you know the grant or you know management, you know, sure, if you're comfortable with it. But from our view, it's yeah, it's probably not okay. something we'd be investing in. All right, I'll check with my cabin crew uh, <laughs> on this one. Uh, sure, what do you think? Um, I'm actually third or fourth biggest shareholder. Personally. Oh, are you? Yeah, of this company. <laughs> oh, um, wow. So I've been around for a while and my fund has a position as well. Right. Um, so I know management exceptionally well. Right. Um, and so just to, to speak about what Daniel just referenced with the Ida Valley project, this was a project that the company owned outright ever since the IPO, drilled right. for gold and didn't get any really good results. Um, in fact, this, the managing director tried to give it away last year, this particular project. Um, the John Bull project in North New South Wales, it is highly prospective for gold and it's in a really good area. Right. Um, and they did announce a discovery a little while ago. I think there's been a little bit of a, um, a issue with messaging in the market with regards to the cap outlay and how much money would be required. Um, One thing I really like about the Delta, sorry, Delta, about the Ida Valley project, Ashley Hood, the CEO, he decided to go out and have the core samples retested. 
just after we saw what happened with Delta. So Delta's right. got a 300 mil market cap and they're about 30 or 40 Ks away on strike. Liontown Resources, they're not right. too far away. No, um, no. Yep, not too far away. Um, and when he had a look at those core samples, because they didn't assay for lithium in the first case, they found lithium. So um, Ashley was out on site a couple of weeks ago and he said that he was falling over the pegmatites and he's put those photos out on the ASX. Right. So we just participated in a capital raise. So they're actually really well funded. And I asked Ashley how long the funds will last. And he says at least a year and that'll get two drill campaigns done at Ida Valley. Right. Um, I understand why Daniel makes the comments um, about it being a lottery ticket, but you have a look at value and upside potential. It's a seven mil market cap with three million bucks in the bank. Um, mm. Really tight capital structure with only about 100 million shares on issue. and So it's not very liquid? It's not very liquid. Right. Um, but if anything comes back from these core samples or these um, rock chip samples they took a little while ago, there's a big gap between 7 mil market cap and 300 mm. mil with Delta down the road. Right. Um, and I do know that there's a few strategic investors that came in on the last round of funding. Okay. Can't say who, but some really interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. Not you. Okay. So, so would you be buying at these levels um, if you can get in? No, I would just because um, just because of the the neurology in the area right. um, and the fact that the market haven't valued the lithium assets yet. Right. Um, the company does have a lot of um, a lot of different projects and some they haven't really explored. Um, one thing I really like about this business, and before we invested, I got to know the management team pretty well. So Ashley and Andrew, um, they're both executive directors of the companies. They actually do all the field work and geology work themselves as a part of their salary package. Right. So their their capital expenditure or their um, just for corporate outgoings each month are really minimal. And the money they've got now is enough to do two really ad aggressive drill okay. campaigns. So all right, yeah. So uh, da Daniel, Daniel says this is a lottery, and you you put your money in the lottery. Um, well, I, I did Forget, a couple of be, weeks ago. Could be power, <laughs> could be Powerball. All right, yeah. we're going to put this on the watch list as well. Yeah. Um, all right, let's recap the uh, final five stocks. Um, uh, Blue Scope. Uh, a no from Daniel um, in an interesting twist. He'd go for um, maybe a metallurgical coal company as a way to get into the into the steel business, which was a really interesting thought. Um, um, some, something like Stanwell. Um, Sean has a hold on it. Would be interested in buying if it got around that eighteen dollar mark. Uh, Hub twenty four, uh, a hold from both. Daniel likes the sector. Hub and net wealth um, on any dip, um, he'd look to buy it. Hub twenty four, um, platinum. A no from Daniel. He prefers. Um, in that funds management space, something like Regal, a sell from Sean. Uh, Silver Lake, a sell from Sean and a nibble from Daniel. And TechGen, a, uh, a no uh, from Daniel and a buy from Sean, who's one of the bigger shareholders in TechGen Metals. What an interesting hour we have had. Daniel Ortiz, thank you so much for uh, being part of it. Love you two as a team. It's been great. Good to have you on board.
Thanks, Koshi. And, and next time when we have a holder of the biggest holder of the stock, maybe get him to go first. I feel like yeah, a yeah. Well, I didn't know. I, <laughs> Did didn't, I, know. I didn't know. Now, now you've got to take a closer look at him. <laughs> you know, change your mind? Take it offline, this conversation <laughs> about that big investor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean Cartwright, always Thanks. great to have you on board. Thanks, Koshi. Uh, good team, aren't they, Sean and Daniel? Learned a lot this last hour. Hopefully you did as well. If you've got any stocks you'd like me to put to the expert panels, go to osbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us using the at osbiz TV handle. Stick around, the pulse is next. 